There's always room for one surprise guest, especially when it's this man coming in right now from the Pro Football Hall of Fame, David Baker, the president. Good to see you, Kurt. How are you? Good to see you. How are you doing, sir? Good. Hall of Famer. Great to see you. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Coach, on behalf of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and all those fans that are watching and all of us who love this game, Thank you, Coach, for all you've done for the game. Thank you for all you're going to do for the game. Thank you for the history that you've made and the lives that you've impacted. Thank you. It's my great honor to tell you that you're going to be the 328th Hall of Famer into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And your legacy is going to be in Canton, Ohio forever. Congratulations, Coach. Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, oh. Great. Hey, Bums. <laughs> oh, my God. That is awesome. Uh, I think all of us Jimmy, <laughs> over to oh, the motion. Man. Right now, but oh, man. Tell us what's going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, The only thing I can think of is all the assistant coaches that have worked for me, all the great players that have played for me, they're the reason I'm here. And they're the reason I, I can't talk. <laughs> all right. No, no. Where's your, I mean, where's your Bob? I mean, I mean, this is so special to me because when you put in the work that we put in, it's nice to know people appreciate it. The only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys indeed? Ah, yes. How about them Cowboys indeed, Jimmy? And how about Jimmy Johnson? Finally getting the call to go to the hall. Canton will be the home of Jimmy Johnson forever. He will be enshrined in pro football history. Finally. And But it might be a new day in Dallas with a new head coach, but uh, Jerry probably won't be able to avoid questions about his first head coach as we head into the 2020 season, and he probably wouldn't have it any other way. Welcome in to yet another explosive edition of About Them Cowboys. Kent Garrison here, your man steering the ship as we dig into Mike McCarthy's first week on the job, who he's hired along the way, and find out just how Jimmy Johnson got into the Hall of Fame with some very special guests. But for now, it's time to welcome in our permanent panel of experts. First, he's the only guy here who probably hasn't seen any of the movies nominated for Best Picture this year. It's Father John Mishota. Hey, John. (laughs) Dang, that's a shot. You're probably right, though. Have you seen any of them? I don't know what's up for it right now. I didn't see the release of which ones. What run movies did you, did you, you see Did you see this year? Yeah, I'll run them off real quick. I saw Joker. I'm sure that's in it. Yeah, Joker it was nominated, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I'll leave All it right, at that. Come on. Oh, go. Let's I, go. Okay, the other ones? The other ones? Listen Quick. to Mad About Movies if you want my full review on uh, on the Joker. Um, the, jo- the Parasite? Have you seen Parasite? No. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yes. Okay. Little Women? Uh, no. <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. See that? I haven't, but I really want to, though. I'm going to see that. See The Irishman on Netflix? I did, yes. Okay. See? Uh, Did you see Marriage Story on Netflix? No. And uh, 1917, which just came out this weekend. Yeah. And Jojo Rabbit as well uh, are nominations. But I give you credit for that even being on my radar because you were like one of the first people that felt like this was like months ago 
that you said like you were all in on this or something and it was like the trailer for that movie and for 1917 that yeah. yeah where that plane is like right behind them going oh, into the yeah. house and i was like yeah i gotta see yeah this yeah it's worth it's worth going out to the theater and, and checking that one out if you if you can um and he's about to dominate the radio airwaves in dfw once again very soon but before he does he's sitting in our hosting chair it's kevin kt turner and kt we're about a week away from the uh, mccarthy news and uh you know the packers Winning last night, um, so you know, does this look good on Mike McCarthy or worse? Now that they, uh, you know, got rid of the guy up in Green Bay and they're having just as much success as before, if not more. So, uh, you know, what what are your feelings on McCarthy now that we're about a week removed from everything? You know, the, the thought that I had was seeing the Packers have so much success this year. And I almost started thinking about how good that could be for the 2020 Dallas Cowboys. Because it does show what kind of difference change can make. Now, look, the Packers did spend a lot of money in free agency and revamp their defense. They went from having a bad defense to having a decent to good defense. But I do think change is so huge. And I, I just couldn't help think about culture and, and everything that needed to happen. Doesn't mean the previous culture was a bad one, although it might have been. Um, it doesn't mean any of that stuff. But like just a little bit of change can help. And I, I just kind of was thinking, hey, I think we'll probably see the Cowboys in uh, in the playoffs in 2020 and, and hopefully making a run and things like that. I think with McCarthy, it won't feel as doomed from the start as it did with Garrett. Is that fair to say? Sure. I mean, I, I yeah, I get what you're saying. And, and I agree because I think in both cases, they kind of the key word is stale. I got stale with both of them at the end of their mm-hmm. tenure. And it was almost like they just need something uh, to kind of maybe kickstart this thing and get it back going because much like the Packers situation, there's talent there just like there is in Dallas. The the one difference I just want to point out real quick about the Mike McCarthy thing, obviously, is that I just don't remember the Packers being real active um, in free agency on the defensive side of the ball when he was there, at least towards the end of it. And to get, obviously, if you watch that game last night or any game that they've played this year, the Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith editions are just crazy good for them. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it is interesting to watch and think, hey, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that just give all of, all of the success, especially down the road. Ten years from now, it'll be all just like Aaron Rodgers did everything by himself. That's the way it's going to be remembered. Tom Brady, he never even had a defense or wide receivers. He just threw to himself. He won every game on his own. I mean, that's the way it's going to be remembered. So, um, but, I, but I will say, I do think that just the change up of, of getting Mike McCarthy in here, something new, um, I think freshens it up a little bit. I mean, I've been taking it in the shorts from some of our listeners over the last couple of weeks for being a little too negative about the McCarthy hire. And I would like to just uh, come clean on a couple things. One reason I was so skeptical about this hire is because I am a lifelong Packers fan. Okay. I have family who's followed the team. So I saw how it ended in Green Bay. That made me feel weird about it. when I felt like I wanted them to interview 10 people. You know, I wanted them to interview as many candidates as possible. B, on my last day of DFW radio in 2019, I had the hot opinion that I thought Jerry to cement his legacy even further and to make sure he has never forgotten. I said that he should hire the Joker to be the head coach of the Cowboys. I mean, can you imagine a guy in clown paint calling plays and dancing on stairs? Like that to me would have been incredible. And that's what I wanted. So when it was glitter on the soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I was going to be disappointed in the hiring no matter what, because I wanted the Joker, Um, (laughs) the only one of the nine 
finalists that I've seen. What is wrong with you? Uh, you're trying to work it back into Oscar talk and and the question you asked John is something my parents have asked about me for a long time what is wrong with you I don't know Um, no we got the the press conference was weird right Uh, here in a minute I think let's get into some of the assistant coaches not a lot of stuff is official but some stuff's kind of you know trickling out there we'll discuss some of that the press conference was real strange and I got the vibe that everyone is kind of in honeymoon phase right now. Uh, what were your thoughts on that press conference that you were attending and asking questions at, John? I just the one thing was just how different it is from or was from any Jason Garrett press conference. Now, with that being said, I, let me make this clear: I'm not saying that it's better. I'm not saying it's worse. I'm just saying it's different. And different meaning he was very candid about things and cracking jokes in a way that Jason Garrett never would. I mean. He blatantly just came out and said, if this Dallas Cowboys team listens to me the way my daughters have been listening to me during this time off, we're not going to be very good. I mean, J- Jason would never say something like that. Um, he openly admitted no kids, that. So, yeah. yeah. Well, he openly admitted, too, that he uh, lied to Jerry by saying that he watched every play when he clearly did not. You know, so um, there were just little things like that. And then just other jokes throughout the about a uh, little over 45 minute press conference that I was kind of like, this is just so opposite of what Jason's like that. And with all of that being said, I don't think he's going to be like the guy we just saw at that press conference during the season. I I think he's going to be pretty buttoned up. I think he's not going to, there's not going to be too many jokes. I think he's going to keep a lot to himself. Um, You know, I mean, just in the last few days and and the interviews that he's, I've seen him do, whether it be on radio or TV, when people have tried to pry in, if he's going to call plays or, you know, who's going to be the defensive coordinator or is it Calamore on this staff? Like, he hasn't given up anything. I mean, let me just say that's one of the most surprising things that as of Friday, he still didn't talk to Dak Prescott. And that, that kind of stood out to me. You know, he said at the press conference he had, and I figured out he'll just reach out to him in the next couple of days. And as of Friday, he did a, a bunch of interviews, uh, kind of the car wash thing, doing radio and TV interviews. And he said he still hasn't talked to Dak yet. And it's just very interesting to me because I think one of the reasons why he's here is because of what the Joneses think he can do for Dak Prescott. So, It'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. And then obviously because of uh, how things soured between him and Aaron Rodgers, obviously they were together for a, a long period of time. And so, you know, yeah, they're adding, you know, members of the staff. Nothing's official yet, but, you know, the rumors are starting to come out in that. Um, before we get into the assistance, though, KT, I just wanted to ask you real sure. quick, just what are your thoughts on, you know, because you, you like many people, wanted them to go through this long process of interviewing a lot of candidates. And I agree with you. Uh, I think that's the smart thing to do. For me personally, I'm glad they didn't because it, it made my job a lot easier that this was a quick <laughs> process. But now I'm just going to ask you, compared to the five head coaching hires that have been made in this cycle, obviously the Browns with Kevin Stefanski, Mike McCarthy to the Cowboys, Joe Judge to the Giants, Matt Rule to the Panthers, Ron Rivera from the Redskins. Now, take this is only for the Cowboys. If mm-hmm. I was like, KT, you can make the coaching hire but it has to be one of those five guys. Which guy would you pick? For this roster, it would be Mike McCarthy. Um, and and if, if this thing was uh, running out of steam and needed a reboot, then I think Matt Rule would be the guy because I think I think we're tra- talking about program building, you know. But I don't really think you're talking about program building right now. You're talking about taking a roster and putting it over the top. You know, so with Stefanski, I mean, obviously, he's a bright young offensive mind. I'll be very interested to see what he can do without Mike Zimmer stepping in and meddling a little bit. We'll see if he can go make it happen. But I thought that was a little bit of a strange hire with Joe Judge. No one saw that coming. Um, and then, you know, with with Rule, 
Yeah, yeah, McCarthy's the one, and, and I would have t- taken McCarthy over Ron Rivera too. Um, just I think I think Ron Rivera kind of felt like more of the same, just from a defensive point of view, and not no shots fired or uh, you know no offense to anyone there, but yeah, McCarthy I think is the one. Is that how you feel on that? I do. Yeah, I, I was I I remember on that pod we recorded like the day before the news came out on that Sunday that I thought. Mike McCarthy would be the best candidate that, that they could get. And for a lot of the reasons you just said, because I don't see it as a rebuild where I agree with you on the Matt Rule thing or even going in the college coaching you know, direction. But I feel like this team with the nucleus, obviously they're going to add pieces in the draft and in, and in free agency, and, and they're going to lose guys as well. But with the nucleus they have here, I just feel like it's it's quickly become a veteran bunch because of basically how much Zeke and Dak were really just thrown in the fire their rookie years in 2016. So it, by NFL standards, this is an experienced bunch. So I, I don't really see the need to go young there. So um, I agree, like I said, that I think that there should have been a little bit bigger search there just so that there's no regret. On um, you know maybe we should t- talk to this guy. Maybe we should have you know interviewed this person. Um, but I will uh, I will say I, I do think it's interesting too. I, I would, Stephen Jones pointed out last week that, hey, you know, if you let this guy out of your building, he's already interviewed with, you know, three other teams. Maybe you don't get him back. And, and if it's the guy you absolutely want, you know, you don't want to risk losing him. And so I understand that point, but I've also understand the other side of it that Cowboys fans say is like, you know, we're the Dallas Cowboys. We're, you know, let him try and take one of those other sure. jobs and we'll go somewhere else and we'll talk to somebody. And obviously when you hear Mike McCarthy talk, I feel like I've, I've watched him in 10 interviews now in the last probably three days. Um it's very clear that all, it didn't matter what Jerry said to him. Jerry could have said to him, um, you know, you have to take three, four guys on, on from this old staff. If you want to be coach, that's what you'll do. And I think I think McCarthy does that. I really do because he wanted this job so badly. But, you know, if, if that's your guy and you're in a position right now to win now, why risk it? And then who knows how different it would have been, like how much – you know, it doesn't sound like they were very interested at all in Urban Meyer. It doesn't sound like they were very interested at all in the college route. So if you're just going with a guy with pro experience, I, I don't know how they were going to do much better than Mike McCarthy. What's yeah. your candidate here as well? <laughs> well yeah. One little observation from the press conference um, was, uh, you know, kind of the reaction to it was funny to see uh, from the national perspective that, uh, you know, uh, I guess Mike McCarthy made the joke that, you know, I've never sat down at a presser. I don't know what to do with my hands kind of thing. And, and a lot of people were like, only Jerry and Steven would introduce a new head coach and have sit by him and be interjecting in questions and things. And I just want to give some credit to Father John because he dug up like five photos on Twitter of different teams who have done that exact same thing and including Mike McCarthy's introductory press conference in Green Bay. So I just wanted yes. to shout out to John for doing the research and being like, eh, no, the Cowboys aren't the only people who do it this way. But uh, hey. certainly they get the most criticism. Hey, it's embarrassing how much time I spent on that. Because So worth like it, John, dude. Greatness. John Harbaugh, I loved it. <laughs> John Harbaugh, Sean Payton, like yep. Bill Belichick. It's just hard to find any – because there's been so many pictures of them taken at so many press conferences – so I'm just trying to search different things to find these things because I was like, I know that like other guys have done this, but let me try and see. And then like one of the first ones that comes up is like John Gruden. I'm like, I can't use that. John Gruden with the Raiders. People and be like, yeah, that's exactly yeah, the problem. That's the Raiders. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't. I'm like, so I tried to whittle it down to just teams that were left in the playoffs. And so I, it's like literally they just the Packers just did that, you know, um, yeah. the uh, and then I it was the 49ers. Then, like I said, John Harbaugh. 
and then uh, the Houston Texans the, the, updated too. The pick you got of McCarthy was so grainy. I don't know where you found no, no, that no, video. No, 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 that one was Bobby Bell. The one I put up was oh, the okay. Packers one oh, okay, okay. that they just did with, with Matt LaFleur. With, with Matt LaFleur. Okay, Bobby Bell replied with the McCarthy yeah. one. Okay, got it. Correct. Shout out to Bobby Bell for that. Um, and one other observation, and we'll talk about these assistant coaches and then Hall of Fame, um, is the catch-non-catch. Mark McCarthy is obviously the guy who challenged the play, and it didn't go the Cowboys' way. But how do you think, John, he handled that whole situation as we come up on? I guess yesterday was five years since the to the day since that happened. I thought he I thought he did it well. I mean, he made it into a big joke uh, without making it. He did. He joked about it in, a, in kind of a serious way, I guess, is the way I would describe it, where, um, you know, he tried to be pretty down the middle because obviously, you know, he was the coach of the Packers and, you know, he's the one that threw the challenge flag on that. It was interesting that he pointed out that he didn't really know for sure on the rule. So he asked the official about it. Um, and so I found that a little interesting. Uh, the other thing is that, like I said, he did all these radio and TV interviews. And so he was on, uh, he was on the ticket here in Dallas and they asked him about that. And he was just, I thought I covered this yesterday or whatever, or the other day in the press conference, but then, and this is what I love the most at the very end was clear to point out you know guys there was still like four minutes ago in that game and i just think that's so funny because that's so true <laughs> he's like yeah we would have won anyway so yeah I, mean, I, I don't know if you guys saw aaron Rodgers. uh yeah. and he went down the yeah. field regardless but no uh i just think that's interesting because um i feel like as time goes on uh and i know cowboys fans are going to hate that I'm, I'm saying this but i don't care this is how i feel um as an unbiased journalist I feel like as time goes on, Cowboys fans act like the Dez catch is like how the how I mean how the Saints got screwed over two years ago. Like it was just like, oh, that was it, man. If they make that catch, we win. We go on the, the next round, we win that game. Then we go to Super Bowl, we win that Super Bowl. It's like, no, that there was still so much had to be done there. That Cowboys defense was not good. Um, I don't know. I just I, the way it's being remembered you know, whatever, five years now down the line. Sure. There's a lot more that was into that thing than just <laughs> one blown call. And they still yeah. had time to get a stop. And, uh, and and there was just other things that could have happened in that game. I, I don't know. I just think the way it's going to be remembered, like I said about the Tom Brady career and, you know, Aaron Rodgers' career and what he did in Green Bay, it's the same thing with that Des Bryant catch. Every year that goes further down the line, 20 years from now, that that play actually was overturned in the, on the very last second of the game. And then so they ruled it was a no catch and everybody left and it was over. That's how they lost the game is on that play. I mean, that's just I, I mean, I really feel like that's how it's going to be remembered. You know, what? I was thinking about that press conference, though, I thought McCarthy was so genius in the way he handled all that. And he is a guy who knows Jason Garrett. We've talked about that a little bit on this podcast. But, you know, it, Jason Garrett had set such a tone with his press conferences that all McCarthy had to do was crack one or two dad jokes, just show a little bit of personality, <laughs> and he had the media and the fan base in the palm of his hand. And I think he does uh, right now. Like, I truly believe that. I truly believe, like, he has the fan base in the palm of his hand. I've never seen anything like this, and maybe, maybe I'm out of character. So he went through the TV car wash the other day for everyone's Sunday night special uh, news channel show uh, and sports special, you know, on Sunday night. And they're all posting, a lot of the TV media was all posting pictures, hanging out with McCarthy at the Ford Center. Like one big group photo. Like like we were at Jerry's media party at Nobu <laughs> that would sometimes take a group photo with Steven or something. I was sitting there going, what, what is this? But right now, I think he's got the fans on his side. I think he's got some optimism. So, and I don't think, I don't think there's a lot of Cowboys fans who are going, 
Well, the Packers just went 14 games without him. What happened there? I don't think a lot of people are doing that. I think a lot of people think that, hey, this is just a change. It's not Jason. That's why firing Jason after week 13 or 14, I thought could have given a little spark to that football team. And I know that's not what they wanted to do. But I also do want to say this. I would like to present a new segment called KT Presents I Told You So. Now, if you guys want to go back to our last podcast from a week ago, there was one point when I said, he's lied before, he'll do it again. And I was talking about analytics and how he bungled the end of a game analytics one time last year, right? Uh, with the, with the, he punted when I thought he should have gone for it. I thought it was clear he should have gone for it. And the Packers never got the ball back. Well, KT presents I told you so. It did only take him his introductory press conference to lie. As it was thrown out there that he watched every play in 2019 and he openly goes, well, I didn't see every play. I was trying to get a job. I thought that was a really good line by him. I thought it was funny. But I also just wanted to say, I told you so. He will lie. Yeah, well, uh, let me let me just jump on that real quick. I've also I'm skeptical on the whole analytics thing. Um, I think it I think it looks good to, you know, do those interviews and, and, and do some of the stuff that he did leading up to what we call coaching free agency. Um, but I don't think anybody should take it as like, he's going to be a complete 180 from Jason Garrett. I think there's a lot more similarities there in that sense there. I mean, he's not anything like Jason Garrett in so many other ways, but in the analytics, I think it's going to be a lot more of, yeah, it's going to factor in during the week, but I don't know that he's the guy that's standing there on the sideline. Like so many people were excited about when they heard, you know, John Harbaugh gets these, uh, you know, stats during the game and things like that. Um, I just see him as Mike McCarthy being more on the, uh, let's say, Jason Garrett. Um, let me think of another Go coach. with the gun, Mike, man. He'll go with Mike Vrabel type side where they're going to be more of your old school uh, football coach that, like you said, yeah, we'll go. They'll, you know, analytics will be part of it. Don't I'm not saying he's not going to use him at all. Um, sure. But he's going with his gut a lot more than that. You know, one thing, he would sometimes get caught up in the game as the play caller, and we'll see if he's calling plays. You know, I think that's still something that stands, and that's kind of a segue into to the next segment of this is some of the assistant coaches. But one thing I did, just an observation from watching him for you know, over a decade in Green Bay, you'll get a lot of times where as a fan you're watching and going, okay, stop yelling at the ref and call the next play. <laughs> uh, like, when you talk, calm down. Calm down. Like, he is very into it. No, no, no. Like, I, I, maybe that's going to be refreshing for Cowboys fans, but – you know, I, I don't see a, a dramatic upgrade in game and clock management. I don't see that coming. That's um, terrifying. Because, I mean, even even in the Super Bowl year, I remember kind of going, oh, now I understand that is a common gripe. I know that many fans will just bitch about their coaching and the game and clock management. But I do think there are times where you'd go, oh, wait, that's a weird timeout usage right there. Oh, don't do that. You know, like things like that. And you don't want to see that. So, uh, but I think he'll be more aggressive as we talked about. We think, you know, again, with the assistant coaches, I want to be careful while we talk about this. I want to get a disclaimer out. A lot of these not official. Um, so let's just kind of like work under that assumption that it's not official, but we're getting inklings that this is the direction they're moving. Uh, obviously, Mike Nolan, defensive coordinator. Jim Tom Sula, defensive line coach, and I just can't wait until he does every interview ever. Please, <laughs> please get microphones in front of him. He will say awesome stuff. Um, Joe Philbin, offensive line. John Fossil, special teams. It became quite clear early on that 
Mike McCarthy has been given full control to hire his coaches. Yeah, let me let me just say one thing real quick here. I know Tom Sula. <laughs> so one of the big things, one of the big stories or side stories, whatever, um, that I had been reading a lot about that he farts uh, in press conferences. Is that <laughs> no? That's the only thing uh, I. That's the only thing I remember about Tom Sula's era in Forty Niners was that's so bad. Really, that he just ripped that? one in a. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, and that he sucked. Oh, let me uh, send you like seven yeah. weeks of all his press conferences <laughs> where he thinks in his introductory press conference when he's when he go, went up to the microphone the first thing he said was. I'd like to thank Joan and Payroll taking care of my 401k. <laughs> Velma, De, uh, Velma, um, uh, secretary Scooby upstairs, Doo. and also oh. Ryle and the boys downstairs, always cooking up a Mexican feast every single Christmas time. Legend. That's the quote. He is, he's a monster. I love Jim Tom Sula. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Um, so, th- yeah, those are all great points. Um, no, I was going to say I, I read a lot about people point out that Mike McCarthy early in his coaching career uh, to make a little extra money worked at a toll booth. And so, you know, it's that blue collar Pittsburgh guy thing and it, and it feeds into a nice storyline. So I do a little research here on old Tom Sula. He's been a medical, medical equipment sales representative, newspaper delivery guy, night janitor, firewood cutter. He chopped, he literally chopped wood as a job, Uh, department store, store floor cleaner, food sales representative, and doormat salesman. Now, this is all on Wikipedia. Now, it is sourced, but uh, I also watched some interviews where he had talked about that when he took over the job in San Francisco. So, yeah, very interesting guy, but also kind of that blue-collar type guy where you see how that probably fits in uh, pretty nicely with what Mike McCarthy wants, especially out of his D-line. Yeah, Broadest has some stories from, or knows Tom Sula from his NFL Europe days, but you know, Tom Sula was a guy who lived in his car. He basically said, peace out to his family. Look, I'm going to go chase this dream real quick. Lived out of his car to get this coaching job. I mean, he, he, yeah, his, he let it, it was him and his cat in the car. I, I, I watched on this interview. He, he just, admitted was him, that him, in that interview. Yes. Yeah, it was him, him and his cat living in a car um, and and said, hey, it really wasn't that bad. That So I enjoyed that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Jim Thompson was going to be so fun, and I hope – I hope they let him do interviews and stuff like that uh, because the content is outrageous. Now we're also hearing. Oh, well, let's start. Let's start on the defensive side. Let's start there and just kind of get through it quickly. Mike Nolan, is there any chance, John, they switch to a three-four? Could you see this possible? Nolan has experience working with both. Tom Sula has experience working with both as the defensive line coach. Um, any chance that they go to a three-four? There's definitely got to be a chance. I, I can't say that it's there's no chance. I mean, Jim Tom Sula, the majority of his career has been coaching three, four defensive lines. The thing that keeps me from thinking that'll happen is just I can't see Demarcus Lawrence being, you know, an outside linebacker in a three, four. Now, I, I know with how much they're in nickel and dime, you know, it, it's not really like it used to be when it, with your traditional, you know, three, four, four, three fronts. But still, I just that's your most valuable player. I don't know why you would take and put him in a position that I just feel like he's a better utilized player as a four, three defensive end than it, than an outside linebacker. So, um, but if you took him out of the picture, I'll also say, I don't think Tristan Hill fits there. I know some will joke that they don't think Tristan Hill fits in this system either, but, um, but I think the linebackers, like, I, I mean, Sean Lee was, if he, if he is coming back, um, it, he he was drafted to be an inside linebacker in a three four scheme. I don't think Jalen Smith would have a problem playing it. I think you know Leighton Vanderesh could play that too. 
it just the Marcus Lawrence one is the one that really gets me because if they thought he could, then, you know, I, th- I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit easier to find your, your three, four defensive linemen than it is to find four, three ends. So uh, either way, they, they need help rushing the passer. You know, I mean, Robert Quinn's a free agent. Uh, Michael Bennett's a free agent. So whatever they do, whether it be three, four, four, three, um, it, it's going to have to be whatever they think is in best interest to get immediate pressure right now because, you know, they, they need help there. Um, but I, seeing their both of their histories makes me think that, that, that they could go three, four. But just seeing what the Cowboys have on their roster makes me think they're going to stay four, three. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree, but I guess what I'll say is, and first of all, when we're talking about this, we're talking about base defense. If they want to show some 4-3 looks and some 3-4 looks, that's a welcome. That's what we kind of wanted, right? Yeah, sure, sure, uh, absolutely. We, we want something to kind of mix it up a little bit and not show you the same thing. Let's confuse these young quarterbacks and things like that. One thing I had a thought, and I know this doesn't totally make sense, but you've already paid the guy. He's talked about his favorite thing to do is rush. What th- what moving to a three four could do is open up the door for to move Jalen to pass rusher as an outside linebacker and Demarcus Lawrence would be your, those would be your starting th- three four outside linebacker rush ins or edge players and I don't know I, I guess what I'm saying is for as much as it probably doesn't make sense to move to a four three I almost kind of feel like it kind of makes sense from a 3-4 to kind of – then you don't have to go, well, we have to have Robert Quinn back. You know, it, it might solve a couple of things on the defensive side of the ball. You would still have to go find another linebacker who can uh, be athletic in the middle, can can thump a little bit in the middle, and also cover. Well, you definitely but have I, to find a nose tackle. Definitely would have to find a nose tackle and invest in that. I will say but real I, quick, reading doing some of that Tom Sula research, I also found that his – his Cowboys fans are going to like this, but his philosophy on that nose tackle and his three fours, very similar to what uh, yeah. Rod Marinelli thought of his one technique, where it was like, oh, no, 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 we don't have to we don't have to invest significantly here. I know that, you know, he's coming from the Redskins. They have spent a lot of draft picks on their defensive line. He's traditionally a guy that's like, no, 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 I'll find I'll find the hard worker type that I can get in there and plug in there. We won't have to spend significantly on this position. So just just a heads up that might happen, might not just kind of getting on your radar. I think that's one of my bigger frustrations, though, is a lot of those guys, those big guys that you, that he's kind of talking about, the, the problem is just get them. Like, they're all available on day three of the draft, round four. Now, Deron Payne, you know, uh, last year, first rounder, or a couple years ago, like, oh, yeah, it's a little more of a investment right there, right? You're, you're trying to get more out of him as as a one, a technique defensive tackle. But, you know, those the, the big nasties, the big guys, the, the thing is they just have – Ignored it all around. I, I for years I've been trying to get them to go. Hey man, I got this guy in the fifth round who I think could really help right there at the one technique, and they would just ignore it. And that's where I think the frustration lies. So I don't necessarily need them to use the first pick or second pick or third pick on a on a guy like that if they're going that way. But I, you, you want to have a good player. You want to have that immovable force. I just think it's interesting. They now have some defensive flexibility here, and it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, ahead of time, look, Senior Bowls next week. Like, it, it's on. They, they they probably know internally what their plan is. I would imagine. Um, I, I I did love the move to bring in John Fossil at special teams. I mean, he is known. He's got his reputation. 
is that he is an excellent special teams coach. I think bringing that in is cool. We're hearing that Doug Nussmeyer will be named the quarterback coach. John Kitna is gone. Mark Colombo is gone. Sanjay Lal is gone. All guys that we kind of think the Jones family has a lot of admiration for. And then Kellen Moore continues to kind of be the big question mark. Still nothing official, but it does kind of appear that Kellen Moore will be returning as the offensive coordinator. Um, is there anything in all of this kind of coaching shakeup? Is there anything that's kind of jumped out at you, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that kind of has been intriguing to you? Well, yeah, that they don't have a wide re- out of all those, you know, the names that have been put out. Now, like you said earlier, this is something that none of these have been made official. It just it's. You know, you, it's very easy to connect the dots at this point. I think what they're trying to do is unveil the entire coaching staff at one time. Um, and maybe it doesn't happen. That official announcement doesn't happen before the Senior Bowl. I, I mean, I will be at the Senior Bowl. Uh, these coaches should be there, so I'll be able to get some information from there. But um, the fact that on the offensive side of the ball, there isn't a running backs coach yet. Now, Stan Drayton, a guy that was in a running backs coach for Ezekiel Elliott uh, at Ohio State, um, has been at Texas. He's a name there that that sounds like there's some serious momentum. And if if they don't get him, potentially, maybe they bring back Gary Brown. I wouldn't completely rule that one out. Wide receivers coach, uh, nothing has really come up there. But then here's the, the other two positions that that are interesting to me that they there really hasn't been a name uh, said there is tight ends and linebacker. And, and, and I just bring those up because it's the what if on Jason Witten, the what if on Sean Lee, that they would have a former player, someone that literally just played on the team last year, move into one of those coaching roles. I'm not saying that it's going to happen. It's just interesting. A name really hasn't surfaced as in taking over one of those positions as of the time we record this podcast. Yeah, no, I, I think that's interesting. And, you know, the Nussmeyer moved to quarterbacks coach. Look, I think Mike McCarthy will be the de facto quarterbacks coach. You think that probably makes sense? Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, and then if you have Cal Moore as the OC, I mean, you're, you're going to have plenty of guys in, in the room that, that Dak's going to feel comfortable with that have quarterback experience. So, uh, I, you know, I mean, I know that there are people that think that, you know, losing John Kitna is this is a huge mistake and uh, that, you know, he has a bright coaching future in that. But, you know, it is Mike McCarthy's staff, to be honest with you. I felt all along that regardless of who they hired as head coach, that that coach should get the say in his entire staff. And if he doesn't want Kellen Moore, he shouldn't have to take Kellen Moore. And if he doesn't want John Kitna, he shouldn't have to take John Kitna. And so um, for the most part, that's what he's doing. He's cleaning house. And so, but yeah, I mean, Dak's been around Kellen now for a few years. He's been around Nussmeyer for a couple of years. Um, I find it hard to believe just the type of person that Dak is, you know, he, he doesn't have that Aaron Rodgers type personality. I, I don't see him and Mike McCarthy having problems. I really don't. It just doesn't seem like Dak. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that he necessarily needs this quarterback coach there that he has experience with as kind of this bridge to the new coaching staff. I, I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, I think it looks like uh, they're also saying Scott McCurley uh, could come out and be a, a linebackers coach, maybe not the linebackers coach, but to coach on the linebacker staff, at least, at least. Uh, and he was in Green Bay uh, with McCarthy for a long time. One of the things that he kind of helped do was transition Clay Matthews from outside linebacker to inside linebacker. Uh, I would not say that totally worked out great, but they were trying to do some different things on defense uh, instead of just have Clay Matthews rush around the end every time. So that could, you know, reek of a thing where you're kind of working, transitioning guys at the linebacker position. But I do think this affects their draft needs quite a bit. Um, You know, and I also think an interesting thing from that press conference, and and here in a minute we'll talk about Jimmy Johnson in the Hall of Fame and all that stuff. 
I also think one of those interesting things about the press conference is Randall Cobb being there and and Mike McCarthy calling him out. It sure does seem like Randall Cobb's going to be back next year, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And and yeah, Randall was there. Um, Travis Frederick, uh, Zach Martin, uh, third string quarterback Clayton Thorson, um, <laughs> wide receiver Ventel Bryant. I think I I think that I covered. Oh, uh, and then Antoine Woods, defensive tackles Antoine Woods and Daniel Ross were there. So. Yeah, um, I found that I found that interesting. It certainly seems like that, you know, Randall Cobb will be back. Um, I'm interested in connecting the dots on things that potentially happened when Mike McCarthy was in Green Bay. And it's interesting that even though I know that he worked almost solely on the offensive side of the ball in Green Bay, um, there's just a lot of draft picks that he made towards the end of his time in Green Bay. High draft picks all spent on defensive backs. I think it's something like. Uh, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but it's something it, it's crazy. Like he, I think in the last five years he was in green Bay, they drafted like seven DBs in the first two rounds. I mean, it was a significant investment there because on his early time in green Bay, you know, they had the Charles Woodson's, they had guys that were intercepting a lot of passes. They were one of the best teams in the league in that regard. And as all Cowboys fans know, uh, that's not the case at least over the last decade in Dallas, there just haven't been a lot of turnovers on that back end. And so there's a long way to go between now and that draft in April. But if you're telling me right now to predict what they do early in this draft, I would say that they take a defensive back at least with one of their first two picks, if not with both of them. Um, I, I just think that that's, that's an area right there, especially with Chris Richard being gone. I think there could be some changes back there where they play a more aggressive style. Will they give up more big plays? Yeah, but they'll also take the ball away more. And so I'm interested to see on how they attack that because when McCarthy was in Green Bay, they certainly weren't scared to draft a, uh, I don't know if scared is the wor- right word, reluctant to draft a safety in the first round. You know, I mean, obviously they took Ha Clinton Dix, who was a free agent. Um, but there are guys that, that he would invest in early in that draft that maybe the previous regime didn't do. And so I'm interested to see on how much that changes, because to me, defensive back is the number one spot that I'm kind of looking at of, of how they're going to address this thing going forward. And the Achilles heel of a lot of those McCarthy teams in the playoffs those years after the Super Bowl was just all those playoff games, they'd give up 40-something points and get beat. They were able to keep up offensively, and they just weren't able to do that you know, uh, defensively. And I think they probably felt like they had the pass rushers with Peppers and Clay Matthews in those you know, f- last few years and were trying to secure the back end were never able to truly do it. You know, one thing that I would also you know like to add on that is – and I'm not, I, I'm not – I'm glad you brought up Chris Richard because I, I found a guy. I'm, I'm not diving into a, a bottomless pit of draft talk. I just want to throw this out there. I found a guy who's tiny. He's like five foot eight. Uh, he's from Louisiana Tech. His name is Amik Robertson. He's five foot eight, but he's got 14 interceptions in the last three seasons. And you see like all these traits of like, okay, yeah, he can cover. He's very Jordan Lewis. Like the ball finds him. He can play zone. can play man. It kind of kind of liked the guy, right? And I sit there and go, well, they're, they're never going to draft him. And then once I saw like Chris Richard was gone, I was like, hey, there's hope. I've now got a guy that I'm going to stick with and call my guy, the Amik Robertson, the very tiny Louisiana Tech guy. And there's hope that they actually might consider something like that now. But, you know, maybe that was not a Chris Richard threshold. Maybe that was a Will McClay threshold. You know, that's something to keep in mind as well. But I just think that's kind of interesting with all these changes. It is a little refreshing to talk about this team in a different way now with all these changes coming up because there's a lot of curiosity, a lot of unknowns, but more than anything, a lot of things that are different. 
And for 10 years, it's been the same. And when you talk about this team, it's kind of been the same. You got your number of storylines, but talking scheme about what this team had been the same. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk about some of the differences and we'll see how that all plays out. Now, big news uh, coming down the pipe last night at halftime of the Packers Seahawks game. You see on Fox on the halftime show, um, they bring out um, the, uh, the, well, the Hall of Fame. They've got the, the staff on the uh, NFL pregame show right there. And they break the news to Jimmy Johnson that he is going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He tears up. He starts to hyperventilate a little bit. I thought he was having a heart attack. I kind of felt bad for him. They're putting him on the spot. Uh, your thoughts, still on Jimmy Johnson getting in? Uh, is it deserving? Were you surprised that this kind of happened? And and this has got to kind of push the ball down the court on getting him in the ring of honor as well, which is something that is very interesting. There's a lot to talk about there. I just want to see what your thoughts were before we bring on a couple experts. And uh, Dan Pompey from The Athletic and Shereen Williams who are a part of that uh, blue ribbon panel to get Jimmy Johnson in. So, I mean, knowing Shireen and, and knowing Rick Gosselin, I was aware of, you know, them doing the work on this blue ribbon panel. And, you know, I'd talked to them as recently as the, you know, week 17, the Cowboys last game about, you know, different possibilities in that. And so I knew that there was a possibility Jimmy Johnson could get in, but you just never really know. Now, keep in mind, one, okay, so being, being from Detroit, I moved here at the end of 2010. The biggest surprise about the Cowboys that I didn't know when I got down here. Now, I obviously followed them as a kid. They were on TV all the time, like they are now. But um, I could not believe that Jimmy Johnson wasn't in the ring of honor. And that was something I learned real quick that I was like, I knew that there was, you know, that there was friction between Jimmy and Jerry. But I still thought like, yeah, but I mean, he probably put him in the ring of honor. I mean, obviously, you know, Troy and Emmett, Michael are all up in there or whatever. And then when I, when I realized that, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then, you know, years go by and you're just like, this is still isn't happening. And so I just thought it was kind of interesting to think, is Jimmy Johnson going to get in the Pro Football Hall of Fame before he gets in the Ring of Honor? Now, keep in mind, Jerry Jones is in the Ring of Honor either, but I don't think anybody expects him to necessarily put himself in. Um, not to say that it's not going to happen, but I'm, I just didn't expect that to happen. So, you know, when I'm watching, I'm watching the games on Saturday, and then I see that David Baker, who's the Hall of Fame president, um, mm-hmm. comes out and during the, the broadcast for uh, the CBS game, and then presents you know bill cower and and you know i think bill cower had some family members there and i was just like wow that's that's pretty cool that they would do this on on tv and then thinking well you know that there is obviously going to be uh you know jimmy johnson will be on tv the next day maybe you know maybe they'll they'll do something there and i watched the pregame show before the packers game thinking well you know jimmy's here maybe they'll do something and that it was really fast paced pregame show. They already had their pre-recorded interviews, Aaron Andrews with Aaron Rodgers, you know, things like that. And I was like, oh, I guess not. And they go to halftime and I'm kind of sitting there. And I'm like, maybe they'll do it now. Maybe, maybe they'll, maybe there'll be something here. And then when David Baker came out, I knew right away, obviously all the other guys are already in the hall of fame. So it only meant one thing. Yeah. And I just thought that was so interesting when he came out, the, the reaction, because I've never seen Jimmy Johnson like that, despite all their wins and things like that over the years. I've never seen him like that emotional where like he couldn't even breathe like that. And then the thing that other, the other thing that got me and I'm sure it got a lot of people was just that they, they had the camera on Troy Aikman, who was obviously calling the game in Green Bay and just his emotions uh, because of the fact of, you know, how much Jimmy's meant to him. And, and I knew that they weren't always close when they play, when he played, but Obviously, as time goes on, you look back and you're just like, man, that guy was so huge for my career. And they obviously have a close relationship now. And so 
the way they did it was awesome. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't beat that. I mean, they obviously do camera stuff. There was cameras by David Baker when he knocked on the door of Jerry Jones's hotel room and his whole family was yeah. there and everybody celebrated. And that's cool. Don't get me wrong. But just you're sitting in that room with your family. Everybody's dressed up. You're in this hotel room and you're just kind of waiting. So, you know, if you get that knock on the door, you're in. Jimmy Johnson had no idea that was about to happen. And if you think he did, then I, I just find that hard to believe because of his reaction. I just he reacted in a way that certainly seemed like he was completely stunned by it. And uh, and I'm just happy for him because um, I think it's one of the big things, speaking of since I've moved down here, uh, that I realize all the time is just that every year that goes by that we see the Cowboys have a season like they continue to have. Uh, the more and more it's proven that, that, you know, Jimmy Johnson was the architect of those teams. There's no debating it. And, and he deserves the credit that he's getting now. It's, I mean, it, it sucks that he had to wait this long, but I'm just glad that he's getting to experience it now while he's still alive and he can enjoy it than something where it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to put him in the Hall of Fame and and or put him in the Ring of Honor, and it's it's after he's he's passed away and he doesn't get to actually enjoy it. To actually see him enjoy it like that, I just thought it was awesome. Man, that's very well said. And before we bring on Dan Pompey of The Athletic and, and also Shereen Williams uh, from Pro Football Talk, I, I do want to throw this out there. I did think, you know, the Troy reaction, which quickly became an internet meme, which that is what the world is right now, uh, like a genuine, uh, <laughs> a genuine uh, um, emotion quickly turned into a meme. But I also thought, given some of the comments Troy's had, I think this, you know, we know how Troy feels about how the Cowboys are run. And we know Troy would probably want it to be run a little differently. And I thought his Instagram post, too, I don't know if you saw that. Like, I think this meant a lot to Troy. I think Troy maybe felt like Jerry was taking credit that was maybe not fully deserving of him. Now, whether maybe I'm reaching out and maybe I'm being too much of a daytime gossip talk show host right now, but that's just the vibe I'm getting because you've seen a little, the sniping a little bit from Troy. I don't know if it's sniping is the right word, but... We've seen Troy be a little more outward in his comments of criticizing the Cowboys. And I thought in his Instagram post to kind of say, you know, that it, he thought Jerry, I mean, he thought Jimmy should should go in first or whatever. Uh, or should have been the first one from that era for from that team to get in. I always thought that was very interesting. And I don't know, maybe it meant a lot, a lot to Troy just because, it, you know, he's kind of going, man, now the finally the world knows how important Jimmy was to all this. Even though Jerry kind of gets a lot of credit for that stuff too, I don't. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe I'm going way out there on the wire. Just let me know. No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, he, J- Troy, again, like when, when I first moved here, that's all I would do is like listen to all those radio. And I mean, I still do, but like that was one of the things that I was doing all the time because I was working on on the website for the Dallas Morning News, and so I wasn't covering the team full time, and so I was trying to do whatever I could to, you know, contribute with stories and things like that, and I was just stunned at how often, you know, the former players, and obviously Jerry and Steven go on the radio, and so I would listen to, like, almost every Troy Aikman radio interview, and uh, and there's and there's no question, you're, you're right on, especially recently, um, and, and that's not to take anything away from Jerry Jones. Obviously, he has a huge part in this. He hired Jimmy Johnson. I mean, so yeah. he obviously deserves credit for that. But there's no question that over the years, um, you know, f- since that time, it didn't end, you know, well, obviously, you know, and then Jimmy goes on to the Dolphins. And it seemed like there was a little bit of a, you know, coming together uh, during, you know, Jerry's Hall of Fame induction. And, and you know, Jimmy was there um, as a presenter of, of Jason Taylor. And so he was, you know, they, they had a couple moments that on the NFL Network's Jerry Jones of Football Life, they captured uh, when Jerry and, and Jimmy were mic'd up and they probably didn't even know it. 
you know, Jerry and Jerry saying the best decision he ever made is when, you know, he, when I hired your ass, you know, which is the first decision he ever made. And so that you, you felt like it was going in the right direction. And then it's kind of like, all right, well, a couple of years have gone by. Like, are you going to put him in the ring of honor or like, when is this going to happen? And I feel like him being in the Hall of Fame now, it puts even more pressure on Jerry that that he has to put him in the ring of honor. No, absolutely. And, you know, it kind of happened with the whole Gilbrandt thing when they, they were talking about exclusivity and the ring of honor and things like that. And um, now there's really no excuse, you know, uh, Jimmy needs to get in. But um, as one of our uh, guests coming up will say, and a little bit, Jerry's not in the ring of honor yet either. So that's a little interesting. Um, now I think let's transition, though, because we have two guests uh, coming up who were on the Blue Ribbon panel. Joining us now is uh, athletic senior writer Dan Pompey. He's been writing about the NFL for more than three decades. One of the 48 members on the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selectors Board and one of the nine members on the Seniors Committee. So obviously you can tell that Dan is a little more qualified to talk about this uh, than a guy like me is. Uh, Dan, I want to start here with the election of uh, Jimmy Johnson. And you may not be allowed to say this, but were you one of the 15 or were you one of the people that, that voted for him? Because I know you guys had to narrow this down quite a bit to just get 15 people in and, and obviously him being one of the two coaches. You know, I'll, I'll just tell you, I've been a supporter of Jimmy's candidacy uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, it's been difficult for us to get any coaches in. In, in past years uh, through the normal process because they've been going up against players. And uh, there's really kind of a, a logjam, or there certainly was a logjam of really qualified coaching candidates. And uh, it's kind of difficult to separate them. And, and uh, I thought that Jimmy, though, really was uh, a special candidate uh, because of the way he was able to have such an impact in Dallas and turn around that team and then have such incredible success. Uh, I think, you know, he was, uh, he was a pioneer in many ways too, uh, you know, with that defense, that defensive scheme that he came in with was uh, really tough to, uh, to deal with for a lot of offenses. And then, you know, you look at what he did as a general manager or front office man in terms of uh all the trades he made, made the moves he made, the draft picks that he made. I think he really kind of changed the mentality in how general managers approached roster building. And, um, you know, that, that is to me very significant. He's got a, a very special place, I think, in the history of the National Football League. You know, when you look at this type of stuff, you have to look at more than just, uh, you know, accolades, the number of. Uh, you know, Super Bowls and things like that. But like you said, it's been tough for coaches to get in. Was a part of this because this was a different committee here, the Blue Ribbon Committee that had guys like Bill Belichick on it and John Madden and Gil Brandt and things like that? Do you think that made a difference in, in being able to push him through and get him in? Well, you know, we had uh, two spots to designate for coaches where we've never had that before. So some coaches were going to get in, but I think, uh, you know, there was widespread respect uh, on the Blue Ribbon Committee for Jimmy Johnson. And, you know, I, I think uh, the other thing I'll say is this committee uh, really vetted these candidates uh, to a greater extent than any Hall of Fame committee has ever vetted candidates in the past. And you know, I'm really uh, proud of the fact that so much work was put into it. And I, and I really believe that 
um, we're going to end up with, we, we already ended up with two really good candidates in, in Bill Collar and Jimmy Johnson. And then, you know, we've got uh, more coming out, uh, more being announced Wednesday uh, on NFL Network. I think it's at 7 a.m. Central. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, there, there was just a lot of work, a lot of debate, a lot of different perspectives that went into it in different ways to kind of evaluate uh, the candidates. And we looked at, so many different candidates from different eras and, you know, how they contributed to the National Football League. And it was, it was really, a, it was an exhaustive process and it was an exhilarating process. And I think we really ended up with uh, some great uh, Hall of Famers. Dan, it, it seems like one of the things that people really enjoyed about the Jimmy Johnson one and then about the Bill Cowher one is that they got to actually see on TV them you know, receive this honor. I was wondering if you knew that that was going to happen and just what you thought of, of the reaction, particularly of, of Jimmy Johnson when he, when he found out he was getting in. Yeah, I, I did not know. They did not let us know. Actually, they sent us an email, you know, uh, a few minutes before it was going to happen saying, you know, that this was happening and, you know, that the information was actually embargoed until it happened. But I didn't, I wasn't on my email. So I was stunned when I saw uh, Cower uh, getting the the uh, the, the uh, presentation from David Baker on Saturday night, and then I was kind of wondering, you know, would he do the same thing with Jimmy on uh, on Sunday? And uh, you know, I was tuned in, and, and when it happened, it was just what what a great moment in television history. I mean, both of them were they were just incredible. Uh, I mean, you, you can't beat the live uh, reaction, but the raw emotion. And, uh, you know, Jimmy was just almost speechless. And I think that's something that we'll be replaying for, for many years and we'll always have a fond memory of. Now, uh, last question for you. I know this is all – there's more coming uh, out on Wednesday, as you said, on the NFL Network, and we'll have an eye on that. Can you just walk us through what the process was? Um, all of you guys who are in this room and you're all, do you all get like a, like a forum to just kind of go at it? Uh, or do you uh, just open up for a big round table discussion and kind of what was the process in some of these discussions uh, specifically for, for Jimmy, if you would uh, walk us through that. Well, it started out with, uh, we had a bunch of conference calls about these, all these candidates and, uh, we discussed them in depth and, uh, you know, that we had uh, reduction votes. And then uh, with the coaches, we discussed that we got down to eight finalists and we discussed each of the finalists. Uh, there was one of the 25 uh, board uh, of selector members or Blue Ribbon Committee sele uh, selectors who was assigned to each coach to kind of open up the conversation. And uh, in the case of Jimmy, it was uh, Charlene Williams who started the, the conversation. And then after that, a lot of people chimed in. And in, in Jimmy's case, there was, like I said, widespread support from uh, many, many corners. And, uh, you know, I, I think from uh, all kinds of different uh, board members, too, from, you know, guys who were usual selectors and guys who were coming in as uh, uh, Hall of Famers or, or uh, you know, experts in their own field. And um, it was it was a great conversation about Jimmy. It was enlightening. I mean, you know, he's a guy that his history is well known, and, and his accomplishments are well known. Uh, but still, it, you know, when you sit there and you discuss them, and uh, everybody gives their own perspective on it, uh, I think it's powerful. 
All right, Dan, we really appreciate the time. I know it's been a, a busy week for you, but uh, we really appreciate the time, and we'll keep following your work on The Athletic as always. Thanks for the insight, man. Okay, appreciate you having me, guys. Thank you. There he goes, Dan Pompey, a member of the Blue Ribbon Committee who got Jimmy Johnson into the Hall of Fame. So pretty cool stuff right there. And joining us now on About Them Cowboys, it is Shireen Williams. She's now a sports writer for NBC Sports and Pro Football Talk, formerly with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And of course, in 2018, selected as the recipient of the Dick McCann Memorial Award. So she's both a Pro Football Hall of Fame voter and Hall of Famer herself. It is Mother Football the great Shireen Williams. Shireen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me on. Well, I really enjoyed uh, your tweet, and we'll talk a little bit about the process and uh, what it means to get Jimmy uh, into the Hall of Fame, but I really enjoyed your tweet from last night that said that Jerry and Jimmy should go into the Ring of Honor together, and I think that's awesome. hadn't thought about that idea. That would be uh, quite an event, wouldn't it? Uh, it really would, and, and I think it would be appropriate, and I think it would probably show some closure to that relationship. You know, that that really was a great one uh, while Jimmy was with the Cowboys and obviously disintegrated after that. Probably is not much of a relationship now, but I think it would speak to uh, speak to how the Cowboys came to be in the 1990s, came to be the team in the 1990s. Uh, if both those guys went in together. And, of course, it's the only two Hall of Famers uh, in Cowboys history who aren't in the ring of honor. I just think it would be appropriate. I really do. And and I don't know if Jerry would, would be willing to do that or not. Probably not. The Cowboys probably would want Jerry to share his honor. But I just think it would be a really cool event. And I, I think fans uh, and, and teammates uh, of those 1990s teams would, would really enjoy that. Sharina, I know that we talked to Dan Pompey a little while ago and he was talking about how you presented Jimmy to the group. And then um, I just was wondering how that conversation went. Yeah. You know, to me, there's only two questions you can have about Jimmy's legacy. And one is the length of it. And, and I think you have to address that. Uh, and the length of it is nine years. And, and as voters or anybody really doesn't even have to be voters. We always like those careers that, that, double-digit number, you know, it just seems clean and crisp to say 10 years or 11 years or whatever it is, uh, rather than a a single-digit number for whatever reason. Um, And so I think you had to address that, and and I did address that, and I I think it's important uh, to note that. But having said all that, you know, is one year enough to keep him out of the Hall of Fame? His career really parallels that of Bill Walsh. When you start digging into numbers and looking at it, uh, Walsh coached 10 years, you know, Jimmy coached nine, and uh, Walsh won three Super Bowls. I think you can say Jimmy won three. That third team was really his, coached by Barry Switzer. He's the one that built the team. You know, Walsh won 92 regular season games, and Jimmy won 80, and Jimmy won nine postseason games and Walsh won 10. So they really are parallel. Walsh went to the postseason seven times, Jimmy six. They really are parallel. It's just that one season uh, that that Jimmy's missing, a a tenth season. And and so I just made the point that, you know, I don't think we should rule him out just because he didn't get that final season, that he retired 
before he got that 10th season. And the other thing, obviously, is his tenure with the Dolphins. People look at that as a failure. And I just don't think it was a failure. They went to the postseason three or four times. They were in cap hell when he got there. And Dan Marino, obviously, it was his last four years of his career. And he wasn't the same Dan Marino. It was his, his worst worst seasons of his career, worst TD to reception uh, percentage that he had in his career. He just wasn't very good then. His mobility was shot. And, and so I think you have to take all those things into account. The fact that Jimmy still got to the postseason, three of those four seasons. And, the Dolphins, and what have the Dolphins done since then in the 20 years? They've done nothing. They made the postseason four times, and they won one postseason game. And now they're in their 10th head coach. And it's kind of the same way with the Cowboys. The Cowboys haven't been the Cowboys since Jimmy left, and they're now in their seventh head coach. So, you know, I think all those things are important. Uh, when you're discussing Jimmy and, and his legacy, there's a lot of more stuff about Jimmy, which I'm sure we're going to get into here. But to me, those are the t- only two reasons that you have or questions you have about Jimmy's legacy. You know, when you see the two Super Bowls, does he kind of get bonus credit for that third one, even though he wasn't the head coach? But almost everyone knows he was the architect of that roster. Does he, does he get bonus credit for that and, and that discussion that you had with the committee? KT, that's exactly right. And and when he went in there, he had it put in his contract that he was going to have final say over personnel. And and he got that. And so he made the Herschel Walker trade, which is either the greatest trade in NFL history, if you're looking at it from the Cowboys standpoint, or the worst trade in NFL history, if you're looking at it from the Vikings standpoint. Uh, And that made the Cowboys that in the the Steve Walsh trade. He didn't draft Steve Walsh in the supplemental draft to play Steve Walsh. He knew he had Troy Aikman. He drafted Steve Walsh to get the draft picks that he was going to get for Steve Walsh, and he did. And so he had all those personnel uh, decisions, and he made all those personnel decisions, and made some really good ones. And I think uh, it was 51 trades he, he made while he was with the Cowboys, which is just amazing in five seasons. And he drafted 18 players who started in the Super Bowls, 15 became um, pro bowlers. And, of course, he drafted three Super Bowl MVPs, a league uh, MVP and Emmett Smith, <clears throat> and guys that went on to, to earn uh, Hall of Fame honors, including Jason Taylor in Miami. So I think that was a really, really important part uh, of the discussion because not many coaches also double up in that personnel. And so I think you have to consider that with Jimmy, that he was one of the greatest personnel uh, guys as a head coach uh, in the history of the league, I think, with what he did. Just I mean, you could just look at that Hersh Walker trade and say that. Shereen, you tweeted yesterday that you wish they could surprise all the Hall of Famers the way that they did with it being on television. You obviously know Jimmy. You obviously know Troy Aikman. Just what were your reaction when you when you saw the way that they were both obviously very emotional? God, I just thought it was so real. And, and uh, you know, I had talked to Jimmy uh, at last week, late last week, and, and I know he was really nervous about it. And, you know, these guys always say, oh, Hall of Fame doesn't matter. It was a team game, you know, and and it's true. It was a team game. And when they retire, you know, it probably doesn't matter all that much to these guys, most of these guys. And then time passes and and you start to think about your legacy and what you did. And and they all want it. They all want to go in. And I know how badly Jimmy wanted to go into the Hall of Fame. And and so he was nervous. And, And unless they get a coaching category, which I think they will at some point, but unless they do, 
these were probably these coaches' last opportunity to go into the Hall of Fame because right now there is no coaching category. There's contributors and there's modern era players and there's seniors. And so these coaches go in with the modern era players, which I think is totally unfair uh, because, uh, you know, some of these coaches obviously coached even before that, Buddy Parker should should be in the seniors category if you're going to put him anywhere, and he's not. So, uh, you know, this this could have been these coaches' last opportunity to go in, and so I, I think it meant a lot. You saw that. You saw how meant, how much it meant to him. You saw how much it meant to Troy Aikman there, and I do wish they could do them all like that. It's kind of that knock that they do uh, with the with the guys at the Super Bowl when we have the regular selection process, and I just think it's so authentic and so cool. And, I wish they could do them all like that. Of course, the rest are going to be announced on, on Wednesday morning. I don't think it'll be quite the same um, when they announce them that way uh, as when they did these two coaches. That was just really neat. Do you think, you know, now we're kind of in a world that feels like, and maybe I'm wrong here, but it feels like we are putting a little more importance on coaching and schemes and things like that. Um, and maybe I'm just in that mode right now because we're in kind of coaching higher season or just wrapped up. But could you see that uh, a coaching category? And would that be something that you would like to see moving forward? No question. I would love to see that because to me, the coaching category <clears throat> in doing this process was the hardest one because I thought every coach on that list deserved it. I mean, Don Coriel's been, been a finalist. Um, in the regular modern era uh, category forever. And I thought he deserved, you know, Tom Flores. I mean, how do you not look at Tom Flores' career and say he should go in? Mike Holman, he should go in. Buddy Parker, he should go in. I mean, <clears throat> there's just so many coaches in that category that need to be in the Hall of Fame for what they've done. They've had great careers. And you're really right, and that's part of, I, I think, Jimmy's legacy that's overlooked too is the strategist part of it. He really was a defensive strategist. And he brought two schemes, and you can't ask me to tell you exactly what they were. I know in layman's terms uh, what they were, but he, you know he brought two schemes: uh, the cover two uh, invert and, and four cross schemes with him from college football. And people said they wouldn't work, and they did. And it's defensive, despite the fact that he was known, especially in Dallas, for Troy Emmett and Michael. His defense is really what made that team. They were number one in total defense uh, one year while he. Uh, was coach of the Cowboys, and uh, even more than that, they were they were top five and top ten in, in all those important defensive categories. And so I do think coaching is very, very important, and, and you, you're right, Katie, we're starting to put more emphasis on that and what these coaches bring in, and, and are they offensive or they defensive or special teams, in the case of Joe Judge, when they're hired, you know, kind of what's their specialty. And maybe that's a little bit of what made Jimmy different, too, is is he was good on all sides of the ball, but really, as a defensive strategist, he, he was brilliant. Uh, and I think that gets overlooked sometimes. So, yes, I, I think we definitely need a coaching category, and I think all of these guys on this list that we talked about need to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, it looks like we started off 2020 with a really cool moment in DFW sports history. And Shereen, you had a lot to do with that, uh, as usual. And uh, we can't thank you enough for your time to talk about this with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Shereen. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Very cool stuff right there from Shereen. And also thanks to Dan Pompey, who uh, jumped on with us as well. John, I, I think it's uh, things might be settling down now in Cowboy Land. Still, some assistant coach hires 
that are going to come through. We'll be tracking all that. Um, make sure that you stay in tune at The Athletic. Uh, keep checking out John's awesome work. Uh, follow John on Twitter at John Machoda. Follow our producer, Kent Garrison, at Kent Garrison. I'm KT Fun Tweets. And uh, John, I, I guess until we uh, until we have any any more news, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll be back soon. Senior Bowl's coming up in about ten days. We're about to fire into draft season. We'll definitely have some more stuff coming on about them Cowboys. But I think we may have a have a break for a week unless something crazy happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be at the Senior Bowl, so hopefully I can catch up with some of these assistant coaches. You know, Jerry and Stephen are always there. Uh, so there'll definitely be content, uh, coming out of the senior bowl for sure, because uh, it's more than just obviously the players and them having the 17th overall pick in the first round, but it's the fact that this is a, you know, a a new coaching staff. And so, uh, hoping to catch up with several members, uh, of that new staff and and bringing you guys, uh, all the good information. All right. I'm going to go watch the movie Parasite. I heard it's really good. Uh, I know it's one of the nine, uh, but I also haven't seen I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, which I've heard is good. Uncut Gems is solid, but it didn't get any nominations. So if you're going to prioritize, I would go Parasite because it's got a good shot at a lot of awards. But, yeah, Uncut Gems definitely gets my recommend for sure, KT, especially for you. I know you're a big 2012 Celtics guy, so you'd love it. Absolutely. I always follow those guys. And No, I I am a big Sandler fan. Uh, I mean, I think a guy who gets killed for making bad movies – uh, and then to just shift and all of a sudden just have mm-hmm. this comeback tour where his stand-up <laughs> thing is amazing. Oh, yeah, and- it's SNL and everything, yeah. He um, he actually said, it's funny, he said if he didn't win an Oscar for Uncut Gems, he was going to make a movie that was bad on purpose, like egregiously bad on purpose as payback for not <laughs> recognizing when he tries to do good things, Like which is kind of what happened when he did uh, – Punch Drunk Love back in the uh, yeah. early aughts and didn't get any recognition really for that. And and then we got Jack and Jill and Grown Ups and <laughs> like 25 bad Sandler movies in a row. So pr- prepare yourselves. He's kind of like Jerry though right now. Like he is winning so what He's making so much money on that Netflix deal. Oh, he man. is winning yep. even if he's not nominated. Absolutely. Uh, he didn't make the playoffs for the Oscars. Um, all right. For Ken Garrison, for John Mishota, I'm KT. We'll talk to you next time with more Cowboys news on another edition of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.